Welcome to Crossroads, the infrastructure podcast. I'm your host, Chuck Stanley, Senior Energy Policy Reporter for InfoLogic. I'm joined today by Alex Lung, Head of Infrastructure Research and Strategy for UBS Global. Alex is the author of the 2024 Infrastructure Outlook, recently released by UBS, which finds reasons for optimism in the infrastructure sector after a lackluster 2023 that saw weak fundraising and low volumes compared to recent years due to a number of macroeconomic headwinds. Alex, thanks so much for joining us and uh, welcome to the podcast. Thanks for having me. Well, I really appreciate you taking the time to join us. Uh, If I had to sum up the recent infrastructure outlook from UBS in two words, I would go with measured optimism. I wonder if you could start off and give us an overview of the, the most important trends you'll be watching for in 2024. What's likely to have the biggest impact on how infrastructure markets behave in the coming year? And my answer will probably surprise you because the most important trend in 2024 that I want to see, it's actually not interest rates or inflation, and it's not even elections. And these are certainly important things which we can talk about later. But the most important thing I'm looking for is whether we'll see a return of what I call the animal spirits in infrastructure, which, of course, you're thinking that sounds pretty abstract. But what I mean by animal spirits is the positive sentiment and excitement around the asset class, just having that healthy buzz that was really missing the last 12 months. And the reason why I think that's the most important trend is because recently we have seen this dislocation between what people are saying about infrastructure and what people are actually doing in infrastructure. Of course, there are many people in the industry like myself who've been going around talking about the resilience of the asset class, the strong fundamentals, pricing power, inflation pass-through. I'm sure you've heard of a lot of those things. And most people don't actually disagree with us. And even if you look at all these recent investor surveys, a lot of investors seem to want to deploy capital into infrastructure. Yet clearly that isn't happening from the weak fundraising and from the lower deal flow. So that's what I mean by the dislocation, because I truly think that the sentiment has turned a little bit too cautious or even bearish with everyone just sitting on the sidelines with a wait and see attitude, despite saying they like infrastructure. And obviously, with the macro environment stabilizing, I am optimistic that we're going to see that buzz return to the infrastructure markets, which translates into a healthy amount of risk-taking, making bolder decisions and the willingness to act. And of course, that also means better fundraising and more deals being done. Because at the end of the day, we are in the business of taking risks and deploying capital. So that's the number one thing I want to see this year, that the conviction around the asset class actually translates into action. And we're talking about the 2024 outlook. We're obviously a few weeks into the year now. Have you seen anything so far that supports or contradicts your view or gives an indication of whether those animal spirits are coming back? Yeah, I know it's been less than two months, but I do feel like they are coming back. And obviously, it's a little bit too early to get concrete fundraising or deal data. But we have seen some announcements of big tickets being raised by some funds and also some multi-billion dollar deals being announced that were closed or recently launched. And even all the headlines around M&A across the fund managers is actually a part of those animal spirits that I mentioned, right? And so I think you're feeling a little bit of a positive inflection in sentiment right now. And I think that's all very interesting, this this focus on the importance of animal spirits, you know, enthusiasm in the market, uh, sentiment. I can see how that tracks with what the report says about, you know, long-term macro trends being much more important to the infrastructure sector than some of the short-term volatility that we've seen. I should note that we're talking on a Tuesday afternoon just after the inflation report from the Labor Department came in a bit higher than expected. 
But with that said, we do appear to be coming down from a period of significant turbulence with regard to inflation and interest rates. Would you expect to see a significant impact on deal volumes and fundraising from those trends? You're right. Since infrastructure investors have long investment horizons and even the underlying assets have very long asset lives, we do try to focus a little bit more on the long-term trends and the long-term thesis of each investment. But with that said, short-term volatility does impact us as well because like other investors, we always prefer stability and visibility. But the important thing to focus on is that we have to watch out for the second derivative of the or the rate of change of, of rate hikes that matters much more than the absolute value. And also the rate of change of inflation, again, it really matters more than the absolute value. And as long as we don't see another 500 basis points rate hike in the next 18 months, which is what we previously saw, I think we'll do just fine. So for example, as you mentioned, the inflation data today is running a little bit hot. And a lot of people in the market often like to debate about whether we're going to see three rate cuts or two or one or which month the rate cuts are going to start happening. But for me, none of those things really matter because directionally, we are already heading towards the right way. And we've had one to two years to adjust to this new normal. Earnings have adjusted upwards to the higher costs. And the big picture is that infrastructure fundamentals are still very strong because they provide essential services and they have strong pricing power. So I'm definitely not as worried as I was one to two years ago. That's why earlier I also mentioned that I'm not even that focused on inflation and interest rates right now, even though a lot of people are focused on that. And just with the relatively stable macro environment, and even with public markets being pretty strong in the last 12 months, the denominator is actually behind us and the asset class is holding up pretty well. So I do think we'll see a recovery in deals and fundraising. And in our industry, more fundraising leads to more deals and more deals leads to more fundraising. And all that activity will only reaffirm everyone's conviction in the asset class. Again, going back to what I said about the animal spirits. And so the converse of that is if we do see less positive trends in inflation or interest rates in the coming months, would you expect that to uh, impact that building momentum you described? Yes, going back to what I said about the rate of change of these macroeconomic indicators being more important than the absolute values. Again, we're not really seeing any big shock one way or the other. So I don't think that's too much to worry about. And I think just given how the asset class has performed the last few years, I think we've been we've been stress tested enough under different crazy economic environments that the track record alone should give investors some comfort. And perhaps specifically answering your question about what if this, these indicators are worse than expected. For example, one concern that a lot of people have raised is that what if inflation actually does fall and fall faster than expected? And since infrastructure performs well when there's inflation, there's an argument that a slowdown in inflation actually hurts us because interest costs are still high. And the way I think about it is that as long as inflation still positive, right? It shouldn't matter. Let's say inflation is 10% and your revenues are perfectly linked to inflation. So if you get $100 in revenues, 10% inflation means you'll get $110 in revenues. And just because inflation slows from, let's say, 10% to 2% doesn't mean your revenues will suddenly drop from 110 to 102. It actually goes up to 112 because, again, it's still positive while your financing cost is still the same. So I'm not really that worried about it. I'm not really that worried that a slowdown inflation in inflation is actually going to hurt infrastructure. Of course, the question is, what if inflation goes negative and it becomes deflation? Then infrastructure revenues for certain will actually fall, right? And that's going to be pretty bad. And obviously, there's a question I do get sometimes too, but I think 
if the world does see deflation, I think we probably have bigger problems to worry about because that probably means that we're in a global recession and interest rates will probably have to fall significantly from there and every single asset class is going to be impacted. But at the end of the day, infrastructure is arguably still considered pre-defensive compared to a lot of the other asset classes. So again, that's where I find comfort in it. And so it does sound like what you're describing is an infrastructure sector that's already insulated to a degree from some of these trends, and that has also had a couple of years to build in some ability to absorb uncertainty and turbulence going forward. That's right. And I think the last few years, for example, a lot of people were obviously focused on inflation, and we've shown that infrastructure does perform well in an environment with high inflation. But stepping back three years ago, four years ago, five years ago, people liked infrastructure not just because of the inflationary pass-through mechanism. It's just that infrastructure pretty much performs reasonably well in all economic environments. And again, that's that, I think, is the bigger takeaway for most investors, rather than just focusing on one single variable like inflation, which everyone was focused on in the last few years. And one thing I found really interesting in the report is that you know you seem to suggest that there are these secular trends that really tend to support the infrastructure sector going forward. I do really encourage everyone listening to pick up this UBS report. You talk a good bit about digital trends and decarbonization really sort of being uh, tailwinds for the sector. Are there other subsectors uh, beyond digital and beyond sort of the the decarbonization and, and climate sector that you expect to be particularly active in 2024? Actually, even though there are other interesting trends as well, I do want to talk a little bit more about decarbonization and even digital because I think there's going to be a lot more interesting activity happening in sectors adjacent to these themes or less obvious sectors within these old investment themes. Just as an example, in decarbonization, what a lot of people are, are looking for is what's next after renewable energy, right? Because renewable energy is pretty well understood. In the last few years, it was energy storage that's become pretty hot. But what are the next areas for investments? Because we still need to decarbonize transportation. We still need to decarbonize industrials, real estate, technical futures of emissions. So I think in 2024, especially with policies like the IRA having been around for almost two years now, it's really time for all these different business models and new clean energy technologies to move away from the proof of concept stage and show that they are economically feasible and scalable. Just things like hydrogen, carbon capture, energy efficiency, sustainable fuels, virtual power plants as a pretty long list of things that we can watch out for. And even sectors that were previously mainstream investments that are now having a tough time, something like offshore wind. It'll be interesting to see investors are ready to step back into an, a subsector like that. And similarly, on the digitalization side, there was obviously a bit of hysteria and a little bit of gold rush mentality, I think, in the beginning of COVID because everyone wanted high-speed internet. But the sector has faced some, some headwinds in the last two years. And I think there are more and more stories about overinvestments and a little bit of financial distress. And obviously, the high rates didn't help because it impacted a lot of the growth capex of, of these really growthy companies. So now it's really about going back to the fundamental business basics having good and reasonable and achievable business plans and targeting attractive markets with limited competition and high barriers to entry. Again, really going back to business basics. And it will be interesting to see whether money is going to go back into these areas that are a little bit out of favor right now. 
And by the way, this also ties back to the animal spirits, right? Because if we have high conviction on an industry, we should see increased risk appetite. And I'm not talking about taking risk for the sake of taking risk, but just the natural evolution of infrastructure investments. Kind of like how renewables became mainstream 10 years ago, how digital infrastructure became mainstream five years ago, and recently energy storage and RNG and so on. So what's next? What's the next lick of development for the industry? Yeah, it'll be interesting to see how things play out, especially in both digital and offshore wind is something we've been covering closely at Infralogic. Uh, and I'm looking forward to seeing how things play out in the coming year. I think it's going to be exciting. Another another sort of tailwind you talk about in the report is deglobalization. I wonder if you could speak just a little bit about how that comes into the mix in the coming year. Yeah, sure. In our report, we, we highlighted that there are hundreds and hundreds of billions of dollars of manufacturing investments that have been announced in the US and Europe. So it really is is happening really quickly right now. And a lot of people think that onshoring is just about supply chain. And the instinct is to think that it's positive for local transportation networks and, and logistics, which is true to a certain degree. But the theme is actually much broader than that. Because remember, a lot of these new factories are being built in pretty remote areas. So I think it's actually positive for all infrastructure because a big semiconductor company isn't going to spend tens and tens of billions of dollars to build a plant without knowing that they have energy available, without knowing that the transportation network is there, and without knowing that they have high-speed internet and other utility services. And essentially, all the infrastructure that is needed to support the general economic growth in these regions, as well as bringing in new workforce. The whole deglobalization and onshoring trend is Actually, a broad sector agnostic tailwind that benefits all of infrastructure. Another thing to watch out for is that a lot of these big companies that are building these multi-billion dollar facilities like the semiconductor companies, like the tech companies like Intel or TSMC, they've all made net zero commitments. So you know that they will really care about sustainability when they're building these plans. So that's another angle that infrastructure investors can focus on. And I think you can't really talk about onshoring, friendshoring, nearshoring, or any of those sort of deglobalization drivers without looking at policy. 2024 is going to be an interesting year when it comes to policy because of some uh, major elections in the United States and the EU. I think those have a significant potential to impact the infrastructure sector. Are there some areas where investors will want to get more visibility on what the politics of 2025 are likely to look like before making major commitments? Yeah, generally, I think trying to predict politics is usually a bad idea. And, and I think the most important thing is just really having the right contingencies in place and just seeing where the potential big policy changes can come from. And oftentimes, it really just depends on how you underwrite investments and around the assumptions that you make. And Broadly speaking, though, just like you pointed out, a lot of politicians are very supportive of infrastructure, especially around onshoring or reshoring. So I think those tailwinds are still pretty strong. And at the end of the day, politics are a pendulum, always swings back and forth. And so if everyone waits for the result of every election or every midterm election before making a move, then it will become very hard to deploy any capital. Right. Well, one area specifically that uh, you discuss in the report where we're seeing potentially a backswing is is having to do with the clean energy sector. Uh, you discuss an increased political risk uh, related to pushback against renewable energy. I wonder if you could speak to how that's going to impact the outlook for the sector going forward. Yeah, that's right. And we've definitely seen a lot more negative headlines. And certainly it doesn't help when Donald Trump goes around saying that he's going to repeal the IRA if he becomes president. 
But even in Europe, you're seeing the UK talk about rolling back its climate pledges, and and even Germany is backing off from some of the energy efficiency targets. And as I mentioned before, there are also a lot of negative stories around offshore wind projects facing cost overruns and delays. So it is getting people pretty nervous. But in my mind, political uncertainty and policy uncertainty is not new to the clean energy industry because I've been covering the industry for almost 15 years now. And what I've learned is that we should never underestimate how resilient the clean energy industry is. Just as an example, a couple of years ago, there was a lot of doom and gloom when US put tariffs on Chinese renewable components. And a few years before that, people were very bearish in Europe because some of the countries started getting rid of renewable subsidies. Yet time after time, the industry only kept growing and growing. And I think that's because the demand is there. Citizens are demanding cleaner energy. Large corporates are demanding cleaner energy, and so are governments. And so there is some squabbling once in a while. There's some disagreements across the industry. But for the most part, we have thousands and thousands of extremely smart people, whether they're engineers, entrepreneurs, bankers, accountants, lawyers, and even politicians who are constantly trying to figure out solutions to these new problems because the world actually wants them to solve these problems. And I I think it might sound a little bit cheesy, but I think there's that famous quote that when you want something, the universe conspires to help you achieve it. And that seems to be the case for the clean energy industry, because every time it takes a step back, it then moves three steps forward, just simply because most of the people in the world want to see these projects being built. I don't think I'm being irrationally optimistic. It's just a track record of the industry. And so it sounds like, again, for a, a broader application of those uh, animal spirits where the enthusiasm for the sector all around is, is kind of propelling it forward despite some, uh, some headwinds here and there. Yeah, that's right. Well, Alex, unfortunately, I think that is all the time we have today. I really appreciate you taking the time to join us, and I hope you will come back and speak with us soon as we see some of these situations play out in the coming year. Thanks, Chuck. I really enjoyed that. That is all for this edition of Crossroads, the infrastructure podcast. Thank you to everyone for tuning in. If you're not already a subscriber to the podcast, please consider following us on your favorite app. And don't forget to give us a five-star rating. It really helps other people find the podcast.